What's next? This is a question we're all having to ask and answer more frequently. I'm Jenny Blake, your host of the Pivot Podcast and author of Pivot, The Only Move That Matters Is Your Next One, which launches in September of 2016. In this podcast, I talk with peak performers to reverse engineer their most successful career pivots, interview experts on what it takes to be agile in a rapidly evolving economy, and open the kimono on what happens behind the scenes of my book and business. You can learn to capitalize on risk, fear, and uncertainty as the doorways of opportunity. My promise is that you will leave every episode with practical tips, tools, and tactics. For show notes from this episode, visit jennyblake.me slash podcast. If change is the only constant, then let's get better at it. Here we go. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Pivot Podcast. I am thrilled to be here today with Penny Pierce once again to complete our podcast trilogy on Penny's work. We talked about intuition and frequency on the first episode. Then we talked about dreams as a doorway to 24-hour consciousness. And today we're talking about her third book in the Transformation Trilogy, Leap of Perception, which is fascinating and definitely blew my mind the first time I read it. We're going to talk about things like attitude, intuition, holographic universe, skillful perception, uh, flow, how to get into the flow, the kind of flow that our work and projects and our lives can take. Quick reminder on Penny. Penny is a gifted, intuitive empath, respected visionary and pioneer in the field of intuition development and consciousness transformation. She is known for her common sense approach to spirituality and the development of expanded human capacities and the ability to translate sophisticated concepts into useful practices. That's what I love about Penny, and we'll do our best to translate all that onto today's podcast. Penny, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks so much for having me on again. Sure, it's such a pleasure. You open Leap of Perception by quoting the saying, worrying is praying for something you don't want. That's something so many of us can relate to. Can you say more on that quote and how it relates to the idea of perception that you talk about in this book? I think it relates in that I'm starting to talk a lot about the fact that whatever you put into your energy field, that means your thoughts, your emotions, whatever you're broadcasting, is really what you allow to manifest for you. So if you're worrying, basically, you're going to get what you don't want, because that's what you're thinking about. The leap of perception is all about so many of these little seen um, dynamics of perception that, that we don't look at very strongly, you know, that I think is what's coming up for us now. You say in this book that we're moving into the age of intuition, and part of that is using our right brain and our intuition for perception and moving away from the left brain a little bit. Yes. Um, I think we have to understand, first of all, that we're involved in a quite a big acceleration process on the planet that's been going on for a long, long time, but it's really kind of reaching a crescendo these days where we're going to be shifting from one kind of perception, I call it the old perception or linear perception, into a whole new way of knowing ourselves and reality, which is the perception of the intuition age, which is spherical and holographic. It's so, they're to, two totally different ways of understanding reality. Sometimes I call it a... You know, we have an inner blueprint for the way things materialize in the world. You know, the, the, the non-physical realm actually precipitates the physical realm. And your inner blueprint is the pattern you hold. And so your physical reality will match that inner pattern. Okay. So in, in, in terms of manifesting reality in general, there's an inner blueprint for that. And I call it sometimes um, an, an underlying geometry of perception, because the old one is linear. Everything functions along lines, everything's separated. And the new one, everything's unified in the present moment all at once and, you know, immediate. 
And so that is very spherical and holographic, which we can talk about as we get into this. I know that the principles are, it took me a long time and several rereads to fully grasp them. Let's try and come up with an example of a linear, linear thinking or a linear approach. And since reading this, I also often say, time and space are constructs, you know, like that's, we live in a nonlinear universe because I've observed how sometimes things that I think will take a certain amount of time or effort don't, they can appear almost instantly when they're meant to. That's Um, right. That's a good example, actually, because in the old linear perception, we have past, present, future, all sort of lined up in a row and separated from each other. And, And we have to remember that linear perception is based on the idea of separation of, you know, separate bodies, you, you know, empty space in between the objects in the world. And, and this is really left brain perception where the left brain catalogs and categorizes and defines and separates basically. Um, but the new perception, it's all in the present moment. There is no past and future. Those are kinds of consciousness that are contained in the present moment. Everything's in the present moment. And that present moment becomes a huge sphere, and you're in the center of it. Everybody's in the center of their own sphere. And Um, everyone is the center of the universe, as you say. That's right. Yeah, that's right. And, of course, all the balls overlap. We all contain each other. And so as you even contemplate that idea, you know, you start to realize that we are really one huge collective consciousness, and we also all have our individual center points that create individuals within that. So it's a, it's a concurrent kind of reality. You know, we're individuals and we're the whole thing. You know what put this together for me? There were a couple of things I read at the same time. Your book really gave me an aha moment about this collective. Young Carl Jung calls it the collective unconscious. And mm-hmm. but your your approach is actually not that it's the collective unconscious. That there's this collective energetic internet that we can log on to essentially <laughs> right. that, that with it's like a, a collective super conscious really exactly a super exactly mm-hmm. the super consciousness and you know i grew up feeling very left-brained for most of my life i c- identified as an atheist for a while and later now very agnostic very spiritual but i don't attach to any one religion but uh, I, I was very left brain about when you're when you're dead, you're dead. That's it. See ya. You know. And in reading reading books like yours, I start to realize I'm not so sure. You know, matter can't be created or destroyed. Where does it go? Maybe it recycles. Uh, energy, consciousness, intelligence. I actually do feel that when I can tap into this collective super consciousness that there's information where it's like a radio station to tune into. And I think we can all tune into it in a sense. And some people call it God, divine, the universe, people have different names for this, but that there is a higher wisdom layer, a sort of sphere, you know, that we're all participating in, in some way. Absolutely. You know, I remember in grade school or in physics, um, whatever it was, some kind of you know, physical sciences class or something when they introduced Einstein's E equals MC squared. And I was like, I just lit up. And I was like, of course, you know, this energy and matter are interchangeable and consciousness and all this is part of it, which I discovered later. Um, you know, that it just always made sense to me. And, and of course, you know, we know that thoughts create reality or influence and emotion accelerates it, you know, so to me, there's always a non-physical and a physical realm, and they're merged. You know, so the example you're talking about is that in the old way, where everything's linear, you have to go through these mechanical processes to, let's say, materialize something. You, you have your idea, then you put in your dues, then you do the A, B, C, D, and you have your five-year plan and all this stuff, <laughs> and then finally you get the result. But in the new reality, where everything's in the present moment, then your initial idea is in the present moment, along with the finished result, along with the entire process. And there's a different kind of law of materializing things in this reality. It doesn't have to go through a linear process anymore. It functions more in terms of how you use your attention on the idea. So if you can, Realize that, let's say, a a future 
something you'd like to manifest that might be your future, something in your future. It's not actually in the future anymore. It's in the present. It's already with you, but it's at a different frequency of your present reality. So if you can change your vibration and your frequency by matching that of the sort of future scenario, then you will have it right away. It will just start to occur out of the field of energy that is in your sphere, if that makes sense to you. (laughs) You It does. does, In some ways it makes sense, but in others I've always struggled with this, which is that, okay, I'm imagining my sphere. You know, let's say someone's trying to, or has an idea of a big financial windfall or meeting their next romantic partner. That on a certain sense, sure, all of that's already here, but in another, no, it's not. <laughs> you know what I mean? There are certain things in the physical world that, well, right. I can think so, about it all I want, but that doesn't mean it's here. Right. Now, so in a thinking about sense. it is in the left brain. Right. So when right. you go into the right brain and soften yourself and you open up into the imaginal realm, all possibilities exist there. So if you would like to entertain the thought of a windfall or a new relationship, you put your attention on that in your imagination first. That's the higher frequency. You go to it and you play with it there. You, and you're lighthearted. You look at, who would I like to be with next? Or, you know, how would it feel to have, you know, a bunch of money, you know, and be gifted with it or whatever? And I could make up all kinds of ways or thoughts of how that might look or feel. And then I just keep my attention, not intention, because that's future, futurizing and willpower. So you place attention into the um, imaginal idea and you be with it and you love it. You enjoy it. And then it likes you. It comes to you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then pretty soon, the more you pay attention, it's like that thought kind of drops down in frequency and starts to materialize out of your field. Now, you may have synchronicities or, you know, sudden, you know, changes or various things that the universe does to allow this to happen. But it's not like you're working so hard to go through all these steps and pay your dues to get it. It kind of just shows up. Interesting. You know? and do you think that we ever have the wrong, not wrong, how do I phrase this? We are playing with something in the imaginal realm, but it's just not time yet. Like that there is a time that's right. gap or, or delay between when it's actually in flow for that to occur in our life or not, regardless of how much fun we're having up there. Yes, I think we introduce our ideas to ourselves so that we'll start to be able to pay attention to them. Mm-hmm. You know, and then it may take, because we still believe in linear processing, even though we're starting to get into the new perception, we're not there. We're in a kind of bridge time right now between the old and the new. And, um, and the new is so miraculous and amazing. It's really the way things work in spirit, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> truly. But it's going to be that way in the physical world eventually. If you can imagine it now, your world will start working that way. You know, but that's why I've written these books is to try to help people to imagine it, to see what the processes are yeah. like to get there. Because uh, if we don't know, you know, it's harder for it to happen. The example I can give from my own life, and maybe you have one too, is with this book, Pivot. For for some reason, at every stage, it's already existed to me. Even when we were pitching the proposal to publishers, I just had this feeling that there's already a deal here. We just have to kind of go through the real world steps to make it make it so, but that I wasn't worried in any way. And at every step, I've sort of pictured it as a reality and it's driven all the little steps across three years of making it happen but that in a in a very relaxed way that was so different from how my first book went yes i I, that's that's very similar to the way i've had things happen too and and sometimes um like i remember i one year i just decided i would like to work in norway i'd like to go to norway and like and I just, it's like you're feeding the, or seeding the field somehow. I throw the idea out. And then the next year, 
a man from Norway came to me and had a oh, reading, wow. and then a woman called from Norway to see if I'd like to come over and do a conference over there. So it, it's just like, it seems like magic, but, you know, it's partly because we're not so used to living this way that it still takes time for things to get across, and that getting across is linear. In the new reality, things are telepathic and instantaneous, and you think something and the other person gets it, and then it just starts happening. You know, it, it doesn't, we don't have the resistances or lack of understanding that keep things slow. Right. And that imagination, like you said, it creates a playful place where we entertain the idea. And I've even noticed then I, I just in a very practical level and more receptive. An example is I was visiting my friend, Nikki, he met his wife in Spain. So when we were, I was staying with them, we would talk in Spanish and it was very joyful for me. I, I got to become the awkward one. You know, she's very good at English, but to speak to her, his wife, Andrea, in her language and see her light up and understand the essence of her personality, I realized how joyful it was for me to be able to understand her. And the next day I was at a conference and someone came up and said, are you Jenny? Uh, you know, I've been reading your work and, and lo and behold, she has a very Spanish sounding last name. And I said, Oh, your, your name's beautiful. Or do you, do you speak Spanish? And she said, yes. And we had the rest of the conversation in Spanish <laughs> and it was so joyful, but it was partly that it was on my radar of like, I want more Spanish speakers, <laughs> you know, right, like, right, right. like I want to practice cause this is really joyful for me. And, and it was, it was the practical mechanics of me asking her, where are you from? And her saying, oh, and then she took the initiative to just start talking to me in Spanish and off we went. So there was yeah. the imaginal realm and the very, oh, my attention is on this. Realm. That's right. And then it occurs in your field. Yes. It, it just kind of shows up suddenly. These people come out of nowhere, you know, and I think this is different from, I always talk about, you know, how it's not the law of attraction, because when you enter the new consciousness or this leap of perception, you're living in a sphere where everything's inside the sphere with you. The present moment is the sphere. The present moment is your conscious mind. It is your, your reality. So everybody's in there with you. All the ideas are in there with you. Nothing is separated from you. There is no outside world. So once you start thinking, I like speaking Spanish, I'd like to have people just talk to in Spanish, they show up out of the field. They occur. They emerge. And if you take your attention off of that, then they dissolve and fade away. Mm. Right? And so attention is the powerful force for this new consciousness. Because it's through attention on an idea that it, it materializes. And lack of attention, or boredom even, you know, from an idea, and it dissolves. What happens when someone isn't? Like these, uh, how do I phrase this? <laughs> if they think they're putting their attention, but nothing's happening, it, it can be easy, at least for me, to go down the path of I'm doing it wrong. I'm trying to give this attention. I'm trying to be light and joyful and go with the flow. And yet nothing seems to be materializing or happening. I'm doing it wrong. And then well, that, those thoughts can sort of create pain. Well, that's just the old habit of being in the left brain. The left brain, you know, does not want to give up its control of being the boss of your reality. You know, and if you go to the right brain and move into a merger with the thing that you're wanting to create, then the left brain doesn't have a role anymore. And it, it feels neglected and feels like it's dying, you know. And, and of course, left brain taken to its extreme becomes ego. And so when we don't use it in favor of working with right brain, it's, we go through ego death. And it doesn't like that at all, right? So it's going to fight back. And so that's why I think doubts arise. You start into the, the new path. And if it doesn't happen instantly, the way the left brain thinks it should, then it interjects with all those doubts, and it tries to interrupt that flow, sort of sabotages you. So then you have to take yourself in hand and say, wait a minute, I am now working with this new consciousness, and I know this is the new way, and I'm just going to be with my idea. I'm going to love it. I'm going to keep my attention on it, and I know it will start materializing. And then relax, you know. <laughs> so, you know, I think we, this is, happens to us constantly because it takes at least three times to get a new habit started. 
you know? We have to break the old habits, unlearn, and then relearn a new way. So shifting gears a little bit, there are some principles that I want to throw out from your book. One, and you said this earlier, life is accelerating, so are you you being the listener, all of us, and that the vibration of the earth itself is accelerating. That's called Schumann resonance. And I think we all feel that. It's why I'm writing Pivot, because I felt like I, I actually went to the planetarium, the Hayden Planetarium here in New York. Neil deGrasse Tyson's the director. He's one of my personal heroes. And in this movie about the cosmos, they said the universe is expanding and at an accelerated rate. And I mm-hmm. thought, aha. That's what's happening in our careers, too. They're, they're, everything is expanding and it's accelerated, and that that can cause some stress. Yes. The acceleration is a given, and it's just been going and going for quite a few billion years if you listen to the Mayan calendar makers. Um, but that then causes our consciousness to build up and the vibration in our bodies to go faster. And there are lots of symptoms of that, which I've outlined in frequency. But um, what that does is it causes time to speed up and our awareness of time, which then causes us to fall into the present moment, which we were talking about before a little bit, so that we start realizing that everything is in the present moment. It's gotten so fast that you know, the present moment has swallowed up the past and future and other locations and other dimensions. It's all becoming part of one big moment. And that, if you take it out enough, it becomes the whole unified field of physics. That is your true self, that big thing, you know. And um, so once you realize you're in the present moment, then you start to have a couple things happen. One is, If you get quiet and move from the left brain to the right brain, where there's no language, and just feel into that moment, you will start to feel yourself expanding out equally in all directions until you realize that you are shaped like a sphere, that your energy field is you also at a different frequency, that it goes out all around you in every direction, and it gets bigger and bigger, and then it includes more and more time, more and more space, more and more knowledge, other dimensions, everything, all the beings in the world. And in meditation, you often realize this kind of thing, you know. And so once that starts happening to you, then you start realizing how interconnected everything is. That's where we start seeing that, oh, the other people are in me, so I must know about them, and they probably know about me at some level. You know, so then getting help is a lot easier. Feeling like you belong is much more natural. There's a sense of this co-creative, collaborative, um, mutual inclusion that is actually, if you go into it deeply, it's very, very joyful. It's what we all long for here in this world because we feel isolated because of the left brain cutting us off from ourselves and each other. You know, but as you start moving into that present moment reality and that right brain reality, many things are revealed about how this new perception is going to function. And, you know, and some of that is, I think, intuition is the perception of transformation. Literally, I mean, it is the way we are going to work. Direct knowing, direct experience, empathy, total, you know, feeling into everything and knowing it all at once. Mm. You know, you say in the book, when in the present moment, you experience a deep sanity concerning the coordination of the flow. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. There, there comes that sense of just rightness, yes. <laughs> you know, that yes. what you become aware of in any given moment is just what you need to be aware of. And if you feel spaced out, then you need to be open and spacious in that moment. And then the next thing comes out of that spaciousness, and everything's just sort of regulated in this non-rule-oriented way, where all the beings are collaborating and cooperating to help you get this information you need next and do what you need to do, because they need what you need, what you want to do. They want you to do it, you know? And so it's all working for the evolution of everyone. It's amazing. You just are awestruck when you start to feel this. 
And then, boy, oh boy, do you get into those high spirits? <laughs> you know, yes. I mean, joy is really natural then, and and love just is really how the the perfect fit. It's really love evolves into something that's like this amazing connection between everything. You know, that's the way it is in the world. Everything fits together perfectly. Yes. See, we we block that with our fears here on Earth. And that ability of those spiritual realms and the soul to translate into the personality gets slowed down and gets sloggy. And, you know, it takes us now quite a while to clear that. And that's the phase we're in right now on Earth, I think, is this clearing of the clutter. Yes, clearing of the clutter and clearing of the fear that has accompanied this accelerated feeling that we have. There's a franticness about the information age and consumption and how much we're taking in all the time. And that I love how you describe the deep velvety silence and (laughs) and the sanity and the joy that comes from relaxing our left brain muscles and leaning into these skills of perception. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, we're frantic partly because the information age is everything's speeding up. I mean, it's getting to the point where we can't process all of right. the data in the old linear way. It's just too slow because everything's separated. But now we're coming into this sense of the intuition age processing which is where we work from the right brain and everything comes into us all at once, almost as a pattern. And then we have to allow that to seep back into the left brain to describe it or decode it or, you know, make it conscious, then let go again, go back into the right brain, open up again, get the next big chunk of the pattern, bring that through. But it's like everything gets understood all at once, sort of in a mixture that you can't describe really because words are linear Mm. you know and so we have direct knowing and this is a whole different mode that we're starting to understand a bit more but the speed is going to shift i think into a kind of slowness that is actually faster than the speed Mm. yeah depth do you know and we see this reflected in how meditation and mindfulness have really mm-hmm. taken off in recent yeah, years. Mindfulness People is a are very thing. getting it. Yeah. Mindfulness will be one of the big skills in the intuition age because it's all about, in each moment, checking in to see what am I noticing right now and why? What is the collective consciousness or my soul trying to make me aware of here in my personality? And what, how am I learning more? What's going on here? That there's always a kind of a message that's in your ex- daily experiences. And so that, in, that translation, let's call it, um, is what I think mindfulness is really all about. It's like seek, seeking the communion experience with the moment. And that goes back to the spherical perception that... And having that confidence that everything I need is right here. Everything, every, you know, we talked in a previous podcast about the answer to a question that in asking the question, the answer has arrived almost in that same moment, if not right right beforehand. Well, yeah, the answer answer always prompts the question. (laughs) Right. So interesting. So interesting. So, so anyway, the, the spherical part is the first step, really. I mean, it's, it's like getting into the present moment and the right brain are key things to allow yourself to understand that you're living in a ball of reality. Then, after that happens, you, you really then begin to balance the left and right brain so that they become sort of a unified consciousness, a figure eight flow. And once that happens and integrates, you can move into the center part of your brain, like into the pituitary pineal gland, which is where often the you know higher direct knowing and psychic abilities and all that sort of thing happen but once you're in that center point of the brain this is where the holographic part comes in because one part of a hologram is symbolic of all the other parts and so the center point is of the brain is also the center point of the heart it's the center point of the sphere it's the center point of everybody else's sphere 
and you can have resonance to every single center point from your own. You know, so what I feel happens is once you get in the center of your head, then immediately there's a resonance to the center of the heart, and the heart opens and it expands out into and becomes the sphere, really. Every center point expands out to become a ball. So you have, you know, your mind, your heart, your, you know, vitality, everything is the sphere. They're vi- frequencies of the sphere, if that makes sense. Mm. Once you do that, then you can, without leaving home, without leaving your own center, you can resonate to the center of another person's reality and almost know what they're thinking, feeling, what their life will be like, what's going on with them, their entire history. You could go into the center of the earth and know the same thing about world events, you see. And that's holographic. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. (laughs) It's, It's hard to describe it. What hit it home for me was I was reading an article in Vanity Fair that I'll link to in the show notes about horse cloning, interestingly enough, and (laughs) that this article talked about the first horses that were cloned, and the one horse was afraid of hoses. But he developed that fear later in his life. He wasn't born afraid of hoses, water hoses. He, He developed it maybe at three years old. And when they cloned him, they took a few cells and they used those to clone the horse. Lo and behold, the new horse was afraid of hoses. And that to me was this example how in our bodies, the DNA, uh, one cell contains the DNA of the whole, yeah. which is mind boggling. My dad studies this stuff. He's so much smarter about it than I am. But that one cell contains the wisdom of the whole. So can we then extend it exactly as you just said? Well, every part of our body has knowing, has intelligence, uh, the whole somatic the idea of somatics, that our, our whole body has wisdom, our heart, our gut, our brain, not to mention every cell. And then as a person on the planet, we are one cell of this big beating part mm-hmm. of the universe, of the planet, of everyone. And that that's what really started to connect the dots for me, uh, maybe in a nonlinear way, I don't know, <laughs> about well, I, what a holographic universe really means. Yes, indeed. Yeah. And I think that it's interesting that the cells that were going to make the new horse are not just physical. You know, they contain an inner blueprint. Each cell has an inner blueprint. And, you know, they have the inner blueprint of the whole memory pattern of that horse. You know, so his inner blueprint just is transferred to a new clump of cells and the same inner blueprint occurs. You see, and and I think that's very true for us. You know, we have emotional memory, vibrational memory, you know, mental memory, of course, but the body has all kinds of memory of its own. You know, so there are these other dimensions. (laughs) Absolutely. You talk about different skills and habits and some kind of mistakes people make when trying to use skillful perception. One of them that jumped out at me because I think a lot of people fall into this is the willpower habit, which he says choice with added directional force. What's your take (laughs) on willpower? Um, Well, If you think about it a minute, willpower means that you're still thinking about the future and that it's separate from you, that it's going to take a lot of cleverness and energy to cross the empty gap between you and your goal, and that you've got to, you know, use force basically to do it. Whereas really in the new reality, there's no need for willpower. There's just uh, focus your attention on it and love it and enjoy it and ask for it sort of, and it's yours. You know, so willpower is a huge waste of energy to me. Mm-hmm. I also question at the point willpower enters, I really double check myself on whether this is something I actually want, because either there's intrinsic joy about doing something or benefit, or it's going to require so much willpower. And at that point, I, I kind of it's already a signal I must be doing this wrong. Yeah. And and sometimes it means that you're not really loving and enjoying the, the thing that you say you want. Right. Right. Yeah. So there are a lot of things like that, that I think, like, like I said, intention is like a form of willpower. I don't set intention. You know, I don't work with that whole thing anymore. I allow ideas to come into my mind and to just show up. And if they sort of light up, 
and I'm, you know, happy with them when I connect with them, then I let them stay there and then they grow. Mm. And, and then I'll take an action on it. And then it, you know, it seems like time stops or something and suddenly I have the result, but I don't, you know, of course I did things in between, but, (laughs) but the time kind of expands and contracts and then it's done. I don't know if, you know, that makes sense. Yes. Well, you took the words uh, out of my mouth because I was going to quote you (laughs) in the book. (laughs) You say, you talk about soft attention versus intention. And you say that the new attention span is about scope. Time stops. Everything is instantaneous, coordinated, and synchronous. You can already feel the result existing. So you, it's, uh, Described it exactly the same way both times. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad because I write a book, I forget what's in it, you know, and then I have to go back myself because some some of it comes out of somewhere that I don't know sometimes. But yeah, it um, does still seem like a fine line between intention and soft attention. That once again, intention, it's kind of recognizing that's where it starts to tip into willpower. But a lot of people, I think, would have the idea that. I need to have an intention or an affirmation or whatever I'm going to law of attract to myself and then go make it happen. Right. Yeah. So instead, the difference would be if you can feel the subtle kind of holding of energy in intention. It's like you're making it work. You're trying to force it to work. You're trying to project ahead and get yourself over this gap to it. Like you have to hold it or it'll go away. Mm. With soft attention, the idea comes to you and it stays with you. If it's right for you, you know, the collective consciousness keeps it there with you. You don't have to do anything. It follows you around, you know, and you just, you enjoy it. It's like your little friend. (laughs) That's great. You know, and then it's, it starts to come closer and closer to you. And as it does, it gets more and more physical. And it suddenly shows up out of your field. You didn't attract it. It just changed its frequency from a high vibrational idea down into the physical version of that idea. And it shows up in your reality. But it was always was in your reality at a different frequency. Mm. You have a very helpful image that explains this. It's the image of a triangle, the graph. And that the very top of the triangle says B, in the lower right, do, and in the lower left, have. And it's spirit, mind, and body. And you describe the three phases as the B is inspiration to choice, then action to materialization, and then dissolution to, um, what is it, resolve, resourcing. Yes. Can you explain that? Because that's... In several of the books, you talk about this idea of flow and as things are an idea and then they materialize and that we go through a different vibration, even at every step of those as we work on projects and bring them to fruition. Yes. I mean, it's a triangular thing, but it's really a circle. It's a cycle that keeps going around and around. And so we start at the top point with spirit or the imaginal realm, you know, and we get an idea comes to us. And it feels good, and we get excited, and we have motivation, and then we start to come down in frequency, or the idea comes down in frequency, slowly, slowly, slowly coming into, through curiosity and and inspiration and all kinds of things, we bring it into the mind so that we can formulate it, and that's the left brain, so that it becomes more tangible, more real. And then we can say, yes, and I'm going to allow this now to materialize. And so then you go along the bottom line of the triangle from mind to body. And, you know, it doesn't, that's the timeline that can be instantaneous if we get, you know, into the new perception. But right now we think it has to be a mechanical process that takes a long, long time. But eventually we we get it to occur and it's physical and at that point most people think that the cycle stops that's the end the goal has been achieved and then they don't want to face the next step which looks like the void Hmm. to them at the end of a cycle of form your energy's been used up and you're on empty and so you when you look out you see emptiness you know and so it looks like a void 
So people turn around and go backwards to more of mind. So they do more, they have more willpower, they try to repeat cycles that work before and get a, the result again. And then they don't want to face the void, so they go back again, you know, and they go back and be, do, be, do, I mean, do have, do have, do have, you know, like that. And, and you get exhausted from doing that. So the real thing that needs to be done is when you get to finish a cycle and you have your result, stop, relax, get into the moment, drop into the, you know, the body, get silent go into the right brain. Hmm. And as soon as you do that, note you're out of time. You're back into the you know, present moment and immediately you return to the top of the triangle where the void wasn't empty, it was full suddenly. Now you're back in this abundant universe where all possibilities exist and it's so much fun, so exciting and you feel yourself again as who you really are and you get excited and you start all over again with another cycle of creation, <laughs> you know and so where we're stuck is at the have part where everything is defined and that's left brain at its max saying okay here everything is categorized and slotted and defined and let's keep it that way and we don't want anything to change you know and that's why our old systems are breaking down now because they're not reinventing themselves it's no. so, so that's true. the cycle. Yeah. I had a whole section of pivot called surf the void <laughs> because <laughs> I had yeah. such a hard time with the void. Oh, it just felt awful to me when I was in it. And it's only, of course, in hindsight that I can recognize how important it was. And I almost wrote that section. We ended up taking it out because we wanted to get straight into the pivot method. And I may include it as a bonus. I'm not sure. But I almost want to write a letter to my future void self <laughs> say like, you're going to be okay. You know, once Pivot comes out and I'm done with the book tour, it's like, I almost just know that there's going to be a void or as my dad calls it, a bliss crash where you've been so high on the having and creating. And then there's in proportion to how exciting it was a bliss crash or a void. That's perfectly fine, but it can be very disorienting when we're in it. Or, you know, the, what happens is as soon as you enter it really and let yourself feel that it's at first it's like emptiness and lack of the other then if you go into it and merge with it and and you know bring your full attention into the moment again same process you start to sense that what is in this empty space me i'm here (laughs) (laughs) oh real me And underneath all the doing, what? There's a person in there? (laughs) That's where you go into the sphere and you feel that interconnectedness of all things and the non-physical beings and just the the flow and the sanity and the perfection. And you can just sit in that and bask in it like the sun. You know, it's just an amazing thing. And you fill up again and you're just happy to stare off into space or noodle (laughs) around or, you know, be aimless and walk around the block for no reason or, you know, just... And then suddenly, if you just let it gestate a little while, the new ideas start to show up. But you have to disengage, of course, from the identity you've invested in the past cycle of, you know, materializing. Because you're not just that. Yeah. That this is now my homework. Come back and listen to this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. It's and it's so true. And I. I guess that's part of my mission, too, is to help people surf the void, have fun, enjoy. Just as you said, I love your advice on how to do that, which is just be with it, accept it. And actually, there's so much joy and wonder and great things to be had in the void. It doesn't have to be something we fear and reject so much. No, and then you start to notice these strange synchronicities. Like, you know, I, a couple years ago, I... um. I finished Leap of Perception, and almost like the last word I wrote, I just burst into tears, and mm-hmm. and a voice in my head said, you're done. And wow. then my left brain said, I guess I'm, maybe I'm going to die now, you know? <laughs> I've had that same thought. And, okay. and, then, and then the other voice said, no, no, it's like you contracted to write this transformation trilogy, because not because you had to, because you love the material and you wanted to. So it, you got to do that. And now that part is, is finished and you can write about anything you want and do, you know, or not write or do whatever you want. I was like, oh, 
And then within a week, the landlord I had, I'd been living in this house out there for about 20 years and um, renting. She called and said they were going to sell the house and I had a couple months to get out. So suddenly the book came out and I had to pack up and move and I didn't know where to go. And I was thinking, where else can I find one conscious people in an artistic environment and all this stuff that I wanted? And every like, should I go to Santa Fe or, you know, Ashland, Oregon or whatever? No, 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 no. Go to Florida and be with my aging mother. And um, so I. I could not do anything else, and it's almost like I just got lifted up and moved along. The flow just literally kicked me out of Marin County, and, wow. and off I went. And I got here, and then something made me buy a house. And I was like, what am I doing? I'm going to end up staying here, and I don't know anyone. I don't fit in here. And anyway, it worked out perfectly um, and help heal a lot of things. And then suddenly my, my mother died last year at Thanksgiving. And that was interesting too, because after that, it took me four months to finish her estate and get rid of all her things in a conscious way. And, and then I was supposed to starting a new book, which I'm working on now, but I was supposed to have it finished by now. And I'm just only now starting on it. But all during that time, while I was taking care of my mother's stuff, the publisher never got back to me with word about a contract or what was going on. They had told me they wanted it by this time, but they didn't ever get back with the you know, legal details. And I was worrying and worrying, oh, I didn't do this. So finally, I started writing again. And right at the same week, they remembered about me and called and finished up with the details. So it was like I couldn't have written it while I was working on my mother's estate. No way I could have had that kind of consciousness. It was so perfect, you know. Unbelievable. And um, it just makes me laugh, you know, (laughs) the way things work. You know, if you don't really worry too much. Yes. You know. What a powerful story. And those of you listening, I mean, it would be a great exercise to consider when has my life worked out that way where you felt either just totally drawn in a new direction or to a new place. You can't explain it with your left brain or things don't happen. And actually that ends up being a critical gestation period. Like you described Penny. Mm -hmm. I feel your books must work on some level. You must have been my, in my sphere of perception because (laughs) when I read them, I could have never dared to dream we'd get to sit and talk live on the (laughs) podcast. And so I must have somehow been able to apply your principles. Well, <laughs> you know, it's you. amazing how the books <laughs> find, find the right people themselves. You know, they yeah. go out to do that. Somehow that connection. Oh. Yeah. I, that must be one of the main reasons I write a book because of the sheer serendipity seeds that it inspires, which is I have no clue who's going to find this and reach out, but I trust the people who need to. But it's like it's like buying a serendipity lottery ticket. <laughs> but a more yeah. organized one. <laughs> yeah. I know. I know. It 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 has its own life. It yeah. it is a, it, an entity. At yeah. the end of the book you say the future isn't out there. Just listen. <laughs> That's right. It's not out there. It's not separate from you. Yeah. You know, it's all encoded, I think. And you know, you can be going along on a path and maybe even be locked into some habits and negative thinking or a certain path that you think is going to be it forever, and it's really not supposed to be. And whenever it's the right time, I do believe that the soul can break through that, you know, thickness or barrier and bring through the right thing. Uh, I've had it happen to me quite a few times. And um, so I think the soul knows what it's doing, and we can trust that. And that you know, fuels our trust for timing and the flow and other people and everything. Amazing. Well, last question before we wrap up, I know it might still be in the super secret phase, but is there anything (laughs) that you can or want to share from the next book that you're working on? Uh, um, I'm not going to release the title of it yet, but it's the next step beyond, you know, I'm really writing about this whole transformation process and stages of it get revealed to me, you know, just as I go along and live and notice and and make notes about the insights I'm getting. So this book is the next stage 
of how to, you know, shift into this new perception. And um, I, I guess it, it borders a little bit on the idea of enlightenment, but that's such an overused term and mm-hmm. so kind of weird, like we, people can't really relate to it. So um, what, you know, what does that really mean? How to make it normal? You describe this in your books that even for you, your writing process is very much in the moment and that you don't always have the whole book or the shape and you're kind of downloading it by just being present, being present and getting little nuggets at a time. Yes. When I started Leap of Perception, I used to describe it like, like combing out long tangled hair. You know how you start at the bottom and you have to work up or, oh, right. <laughs> or else. Yes. Uh, or like swimming through a seaweed forest in the ocean. <laughs> it's just like everything was connecting to everything else. So you have to just pull something down and start and then be willing to make mistakes in sequencing or whatever and then go back and and comb it again, you know, <laughs> get mm-hmm. it, get it again. And um it's not something that I can outline in a linear way anymore. It's, it's not linear, which is hard to write a book in a, you know, about nonlinear subject. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, you do such a great job on it. I cannot wait to read the next book and have you back on the podcast. Penny, thank you so, so much for these fascinating conversations and books. It's an absolute joy and an honor to have you on the show. Well, thank you. And you really serve to bring a lot of it out. So thank you. Well, thank you so much. And big thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Pivot Podcast. To learn more and get in touch, visit JennyBlake.me, where I blog about systems at the intersection of mind, body, and business. Or find me on Twitter at Jenny underscore Blake. And remember, build first, then your courage will follow. Hasn't it always? <laughs>